Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Show. My name is Philip DeFranco, not filming in a bathroom this week. And to celebrate this return to PDS Normal, hit that like button, subscribe, do all the good stuff to feed those algorithm gods because I'll be giving a subscriber at the end of week $8,000. Yeah, with that said, let's just jump into it. And for the first part of today's show, let's talk about some entertainment, entertainer news, starting with Jake Paul beating Tyron Woodley last night. He did so via split decision. And I mean, say what you will about Jake Paul, and I've said plenty, this is a big win for him. With the fight going all eight rounds, answering the question, does Jake Paul have a gap? Tank. Prior to this, Jake Paul fights have only gone up to four minutes, and he was actually fighting someone that could throw a punch. He's not a professional boxer, but not a former basketball player or a professional wrestler that looks silly throwing punches. Now, as far as Tyron's response to the fight, one, during an Instagram Live, he actually accused Jake Paul of fighting dirty. He did not take a jerk test. I don't think he fought clean. Right, taking performance enhancing drugs, and two, actually saying right after the fight, I thought I won. And while the internet has been very divided on that, I mean, there was definitely an opportunity for him to win. For this moment, definitely a key one. Woodley saying the rope saved Jake Paul, but other people saying, well, if you actually wanted to win, you should have gone in. Capitalized when Jake Paul was obviously rocked. Also, because Woodley didn't capitalize on that moment, you had a lot of people using that as an example of why they believe that this match was rigged. Also, as far as will there be a rematch, uh, there might be, or it's just kind of a bunch of BS. After the fight, Woodley saying he wanted the rematch. Logan Paul also chiming in saying, no, you're old news. Jake Paul saying, I'll give you a rematch if you get the tattoo, I love Jake Paul. Woodley says, bet. Which, I mean, there's one side of me that's like, you can't get I love Jake Paul tattoo. But also you could get it covered up after the second fight. And the payday for Woodley is the biggest one that he's ever gotten. His manager previously describing this as a multi-million dollar payday for Woodley. Also, as far as Jake Paul, if there is audience interest in this, it might make sense for him. Jake saying last night that he's 10% closer to becoming a billionaire, right? So you're talking about a potential $100 million payday if he's not bullshitting. And depending on the selection of potential opponents, it might make sense because uh, like one of Paul's advisors said, the next opponent should be someone who has the ability to make people believe that they can beat Jake Paul. He's at a level now where he can't have easy fights. Every fight has to elevate given the type of attention he commands, given the pay-per-view box office power he has and the relationship that he has with Showtime. Right, in my opinion, the, the question of is Jake Paul just fucking around? Can he actually fight? Those questions have been answered. He can actually fight. He went the distance, his counter-punching. I was actually a little bit impressed. But the question remains, can can he actually beat another boxer who does this professionally in his own weight class? And the thing is, from a pure marketing standpoint, especially since Showtime has money in the game now, do you even risk that? Because a huge chunk of these pay-per-view buys have to be from people that just want to see Jake Paul finally get knocked out. And the moment that actually happens, the size of the bag for the next fight instantly becomes smaller. Yeah, with that said, that's a story, so my opinion, and I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts here? All right, do you think it was rigged? Personally, I don't, but I'd love to know your thoughts. Do you think it's now gotten to a place where there's actually a showcasing of skill, or no, this is still in the, the BS circus camp? I'd love to know your thoughts. Then we had Kanye in the news because he finally dropped his 10th studio album, Donda. Though, just a few hours later, we ended up seeing Kanye take to Instagram to say that Universal actually put the album out without his approval. And while this was only temporary, Kanye added that they blocked a song featuring DaBaby from being on it. That song also listing Marilyn Manson in the credits, which actually last week, Kanye received some backlash after he brought both of them out during a listening party. Or that because Manson has been accused of sexual, physical, and emotional abuse by at least 15 women. Meanwhile, DaBaby had recently faced backlash for making homophobic remarks and spreading misinformation about HIV and AIDS. Now that said, representatives from Universal have not commented on this publicly, but unnamed sources at the company told 
told Variety that Kanye's claims were preposterous, which has then led to people saying that Kanye is just doing this for marketing rights, saying something shocking or doing something controversial to generate attention. And hey, to that point, if Kanye didn't make that claim, I probably wouldn't be talking about it on this show. And then finally in this entertainment section, let's end on a little bit of positive news. One of the biggest YouTubers on the platform, PewDiePie, he donates the money that he brings in from his channel memberships here on YouTube. And he just announced that since he started doing this last year, he's been able to donate $1.5 million to a bunch of amazing charities. And I just wanted to kind of include something positive because, you know, it feels like for the most part, you only see YouTubers in the news because they, they, you know, they landed some massive deal or they're embroiled in a controversy, but there are a lot of online creators that are doing amazing things like this. And so props to PewDiePie for being a great example of that. But from that, I want to take a second to pay some bills and thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Squarespace. You know, over the past year, I know many of you have found your passion projects and what truly makes you happy, whether that means finally getting your independent business off the ground or creating a place to share your homemade goods, new favorite hobby, obsession, or maybe even just having a personal blog to get all those thoughts out of your head. And for everything, Squarespace is there to help. And it's also easy. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. And creating a beautiful website with Squarespace's all-in-one platform has never been so simple. It's extremely intuitive and easy to use. Plus, with Squarespace, you get access to all their marketing tools and analytics and personalized support from their award-winning customer care team via email or live chat. Whatever you need, 24-7, they are available to help out. So if you want to check it out, see why so many others love it, see if it is right for you, start your free trial today over at squarespace.com slash Phil. When you realize you love it, make sure you enter an offer code Phil to get 10% off your first purchase. Then, in COVID news, while there's a lot happening everywhere, one of the things we keep seeing pop up again and again are people who have been very outspoken against the vaccine then dying from COVID. Right, earlier in the month, you had the likes of Leslie Lawrence and dying just nine days after saying that COVID is nothing to be afraid of. I hope it is COVID. Um, I'd rather have the antibodies in my blood than take the jabs. Anyone who knows my opinion, anyone who has followed my comments on, um, on my Facebook page knows what I feel about also, notably, we've seen headlines like another conservative anti-vaccine radio talk show host succumbs to COVID third in a month. And the most recent grabbing headlines being conservative Florida man and radio host Mark Bernier, who dubbed himself Mr. Anti-Vax, dying after a three-week battle with COVID. You know, seeing stories and news like this, it, it really, it, it's been challenging me as far as what I'm feeling. Right, self-appointed Mr. Anti-Vax, it wasn't just anti-vaccine or vaccine hesitant. He was someone with an audience that was then spreading other misinformation, fear-mongering. It's just doing things that it feels like makes the situation worse. And while those actions in his life make me angry, I'm not like joyous that he died, but I, I also don't feel anything for him specifically. And I think that's kind of like what I'm struggling with right now. Like he was someone that in my opinion, based off of having this audience and this, this megaphone was making the situation worse, but he was someone that still had a family and friends who maybe now because they see that it's a real risk will get vaccinated and there can be that silver lining, but I hate that anyone has to go through that pain. And then like the, the more that I thought about it, the more I had a little bit of a crisis of self because while I have been of the mindset that if you are anti-vax, you are making the issue worse, with with people like Mark, it's hard not to view those, everyone else as a victim. A victim of misinformation and fear-mongering to the point where you have people taking animal meds. And I really don't know what to do with those feelings. It's so much easier to look at the world as black and white. I don't know, I, uh, in the past week I saw someone that it turns out followed me, I think watched the show as well on TikTok. It seemed like a relatively young woman was in the hospital. There was a scary video where you, she's in the hospital, she hears someone crying out. 
in the distance, others where she explains that she she didn't get the vaccine. And one of the last videos before it's being said that she died, uh, she said she wished she had gotten the vaccine. And while obviously like being eligible and not taking the vaccine, I, I've historically thought of those people as, as being part of the problem. I, I couldn't help but feel horrible. Right? She herself was also a victim of the misinformation and the fear mongering. And I, uh, yeah, I don't know what to do with that because it, it brings back the, the feeling that a lot of us had during the pan pandemic of having a lot of anger and also a feeling of hopelessness that no matter what we do, nothing's going to change. But also maybe these, these hard lessons, people losing other people, like hitting closer to home, maybe that's also part of the reason that we're seeing now increased vaccination rates, also the likelihood of more mandates coming in. I don't know. Yeah, I really love to know your thoughts on this one because like as far as the facts of the story, I got that down, but I, the feelings? <laughs> The feelings are fucking with me. And so I do want to pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings with this story and then the general situation? And then let's talk about Hurricane Ida, which absolutely battered Louisiana as a category four hurricane yesterday. While Ida was downgraded to a tropical storm this morning, it still poses a serious threat to Mississippi and could have a significant impact on other Southern states. And as far as the impact, I mean, right now, search and rescue crews are still assessing the damage, helping those in need. Currently, there's only been one confirmed death after a tree fell on an individual, but Governor John Bell Edwards said that he expects that toll to rise considerably as rescue efforts continue. The videos and photos from southeastern parts of the state showing houses destroyed, roadways have been flooded, trees have fallen, power lines have been down, creating dangerous conditions and prompting officials to urge people to stay where they are and keep off the roads. Meanwhile, in New Orleans, while the system of levees, barriers, and pumps that were expanded after Hurricane Katrina appear to have now passed their most dramatic test so far, the same cannot be said for all of the city's infrastructure. With Ida leaving virtually all of New Orleans without power, with the only power in the city coming from personal generators. The utility company Entergy also saying that all eight of the electric transmission lines that feed the city have been knocked out, including one that was literally knocked into the Mississippi River. And as of this morning, over 1 million people were left without power in Louisiana. And Entergy said that it could actually be days or even weeks before parts of New Orleans and the surrounding suburbs get power back. Adding that some customers may not get power back for three weeks, though 90% will get it restored sooner. Also in other parts of the state, you had the Jefferson Parish Emergency Management Director saying that it will take at least six weeks for power to return to a large section of the coast. And adding that there are about 10 parishes that the electrical grids are completely collapsed and damaged, smashed out, out, however you want to put it. And meanwhile, you have officials warning that the damage is not completely done. Ida continues to move north, bringing dangerous weather conditions to much of the south. And while yes, the storm has been downgraded, forecasters have said that the storm surges and flash flooding may continue today in parts of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, with tornado warnings also in place in parts of Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida. And I mean, it's really worth noting that this couldn't come at a worse time for the south. Right? It's currently the epicenter of the recent massive surge of COVID cases driven by the Delta variant. Mississippi and Louisiana currently reporting the second and fourth highest new cases in the country, respectively while other potentially impacted states like Florida, Tennessee, and Alabama all rank in the top seven. And so now not only is Ida expected to overwhelm hospitals that are already maxing at their capacity, it could also increase the spread of the virus as more people are forced to leave their homes for shelters or houses of other family members. So if you are someone in an affected area, please, please, please be safe. Follow advisories closely. In the meantime, obviously this is a developing situation. I can't cover everything, but I do want to link to resources and information down below for those affected and those that want to help. And the final thing that we're going to talk about today is Kabul. The, the situation there, of course, remains to be tense, especially as the August 31st deadline is just a day away. Easily one of the biggest updates and events since we last talked about this. Of course, the attack last Thursday, the ISIS-K attack on the Kabul airport, a suicide bomber attacking the Abbey Gate, one of the main entrances to the airport. According to reports, the area was densely packed with people trying to gain access to the airport to take part in the evacuation as well as U.S. service members. In total, 13 U.S. soldiers were killed alongside 170 Afghans, many more injured. There are also reports that the Taliban, sworn enemies to ISIS-K, are embarrassed by the attacks as it highlights how tenuous their control 
goal is. Then just a day after ISIS-K's attack, the US carried out an airstrike against the group, killing two, injuring another. With the Pentagon claiming that the targets were planners and facilitators of attacks against Americans, but officials also refused to say whether or not those killed were directly involved with the airport attack. Since then, there have been other reports of potential attacks, leading to the US to conduct an airstrike in a Kabul neighborhood against a truck allegedly carrying explosives. However, that strike has potentially killed up to 10 people, including a large family. Another incident happening this morning when US anti-air defense systems managed to intercept and stop rocket attacks that were targeting the airport. However, some then reportedly fell into residential areas of Kabul. And overall, the attacks have put a serious halt to evacuation efforts at a time when the US and allies were really getting into a groove of things and getting over 10,000 people out per day. Now, to be fair, forces on the ground have been quick to restart flights when possible, leading to about 122,000 people being evacuated as of this morning. And actually, in a last minute surprise update to the story, especially considering that there was a lot of uncertainty just minutes after I started exporting the first version of today's show, it's now being reported by numerous outlets that the US has completed withdrawal from Afghanistan. Now, obviously, this is gonna be something that I need to update tomorrow. Also, we need to keep our eyes on the general area because there are a lot of things happening that makes it feel like there's gonna be a lot of violence very soon. But for now, that is where I'm gonna end today's show. And of course, pass the question off to you, whether it's this story or anything else that stood out today, what are your thoughts? Let me know in those comments down below because yes, this is a news show, but it's also a conversation as well. At times feeling like a family, which by the way, thank you for liking, subscribing to join the family, all the good stuff. And of course, as always, my name is Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love your faces and I'll see you tomorrow.